1: Grave robbers from outer space. Hello and welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum and Malamine. And we are talking about all of our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional kaiju creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between, all strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zack Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. Your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zack Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. Matt, have we reached a new low with Camp Kaiju? Talking about plan nine, or is this somehow among, among our crowning achievements?:
2: Yeah, maybe we've reached new heights. That's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, I, I, this is one of those movies where it makes you question like the uh, what is actually meant by like a good or a bad movie, and like whether those criteria are like kind of irrelevant, you know That's why this movie's so great. It makes us ask the deep and important questions.:
1: It defies all logic. Like our our ratings at the end, it's going to be tough because like, how do you fairly rate such a film?
2: Right. Yeah. Like any rating from like our highest to our lowest is like totally valid for this movie, (laughs) (laughs) which is why I love it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Which, you know, we talked about when I was choosing our season, I was like, look, we're going to talk about Ishiro Honda's 1954 Godzilla, which is arguably the best of the best. We have to flip the coin and go to the worst of the worst.
2: Yeah, totally. But, you know, we'll we'll get into this more, but I feel like no matter how bad, by, like, conventional standards, Plan 9 from Outer Spaces, like, as with almost any Ed Wood movie, like, you can tell that there's, like, so much passion for film and, like, cinema. And, like, you know, it's it's a sincere movie. So, like, it's hard to, like, really hate it too much when there's so much passion behind the camera, you know? Which is
1: why, and I want to hear your thoughts, like, when when people say what's the best movie ever made? Regardless of how you feel about defining best, there are certain criteria, like technical um, benchmarks for filmmaking that you can can make an argument for, name any, any of the greatest movies. Citizen Kane. You can say, sure, that's the greatest movie ever made. But when it comes to the best, or sorry, the worst movie ever made, it's like okay, is Plan 9 the worst movie or is that crap I saw on the sci-fi channel the worst movie? It's like, how yeah. does it get defined?
2: Right, or even is some kind of, like, bland Oscar bait movie actually, like, worse than, like, this kind of thing because, like, they're just trying to, like, get awards, you know? Like, at least with Plan 9 from Outer Space, like, there's creativity and ingenuity and, like, it doesn't quite come across, but you still have to admire the attempt, you know?
1: Right, and... I think something has to be said for for longevity. Like we are still talking about this movie nearly 70 years later in ways that like the movies you and I made in our youth, you know, those are worse than this movie. Yeah,
2: absolutely. But no, yeah. but those
1: don't count in the conversation.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of longevity, there's a lot of love for these movies, like, you know, for plan nine from outer space, and so bad, it's good movies, we'll talk about some other ones in the podcast soon. Um, yeah, I mean, like, people love these movies. And there's, there are a lot of reasons why I just think, in a nutshell, like, you cannot see anything like this outside of this movie. And there's a lot to be said for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll dig into it before we do that. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Camp. Kaiju, your support means the world to us and any reviews or comments you leave um, equally so. Uh, we love listening to you, talking about monster movies, talking about cult classics, um all sorts of good things. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and especially to our patrons, Jason, Kelly, Peggy, and our anonymous patron. Thank you again. Um, so Matt, we have camp kaiju movie What can you do there?
2: Oh, uh, if you go to camp kaiju movie reviews.com, you can, uh, of course, find all of our episodes that we've recorded in the past. You can read reviews, not only about the movies that we talk about in the podcast, but also about other monster movies that are not featured. Um, yeah, you can kind of take part in the community. You can like send us, you know, like your thoughts, your feedback. So yeah, check it out if you if you have some free time, Camp Kaiju Movie reviews.com.
1: Yes, we have some uh, people who are like really into we use WordPress and other bloggers. You know, every week I get like a new subscriber to the website. So so each week when we post our new our latest podcast podcast episode, it gets dropped right into your email inbox if that's your preferred method. You can also get news um outside of this podcast including the Twin Cities Horror Festival in its 12th year. Um, Matt, I am producing a play I wrote, a horror monster play called The Hand That Washed Ashore. It's a it's my it's my um entry into the killer hand subgenre of monster flicks.
2: One of my favorite subgenres.
1: I have a few on my list I still need to see like Michael Caine's The Hand That's Oliver Stone starring Michael Caine. So anyways, our opening night is Friday, October 20th at 6.30 p.m. We'd love to see you all there for a Camp Kaiju night. Um, Just come out and say hi, see the show, and yeah, have a good time.
2: I can't wait. I've heard a little bit about the show from you and like talking about the process of putting on the production, but I still don't really know what to expect, so I'm very excited.
1: Me neither. We start rehearsals this week. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. On next week's episode, I'm just going to hype this train right up until the end.
2: (laughs) Yes, totally. Do it. Hopefully nobody actually loses a hand during the rehearsal process. That's a step too far to go for art. Is it, though? (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. Nothing is too far for the sake of art. You're right. I take it back.
1: (laughs) Don't put limits on my art.
2: (laughs) Yeah. What's a limb here or there? It's nothing. (laughs) Totally worth it.
1: Um... I was I was thinking about the gallbladder line from uh Andy Warhol's Flesh for Frankenstein.
2: <laughs>
1: and I thought that was a bit too far.
2: <laughs> ah, yeah, perhaps you're right, but that's what I love so much about that movie. And perhaps about Plan Nine from Outer Space as well.
1: Right. I I was thinking a lot about Flesh for Frankenstein watching both Plan Nine and Troll Two. Yep. Um so yeah, maybe we can have a retrospective ourselves on the so bad like the best of the worst movies we've featured on our own show yeah
2: yeah maybe killdozer would be on there as well i don't know i would just say that's so bad it's bad but you know yeah. that's that's my opinion
1: <laughs> yeah yeah all right well anyways matt what's your what's your personal history of plan nine i don't think we've talked about this movie very much
2: we haven't really talked about it too much. Um, I've seen it twice, but not for quite a long time. I, when I was in high school, I went through a big Ed Wood phase where I watched Glenn or Glenda. Um, I think I watched some of his other movies, too, and now they're not really coming to me.
1: Bride of the Monster?
2: Yeah, Bride of the Monster. That's maybe my favorite one because like, that's the one with like the octopus tentacle monster, right? Which is so ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's in that movie. Um, anyway, a little off topic. Um Yeah, so I've seen this a couple times. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, You know, I've always found it very charming. It's like, you know, like I already said, it's just like hard to resist something that is clearly so like sincerely made as this, you know?
1: Yeah, um, I love that. I want to hear more about your perspective on Ed Wood. I am in my phase right now. I saw Plan 9 for the first time this past April and immediately fell in love with it because it's so charming. And yeah, it's just like, what? Glenn or Glenda, The Bride of the Monster, and Night of the Ghouls are high on my list right now to watch. They're all available on Tubi, so it's just a matter of me sitting down and hitting play. But I do want to see them. I fell in love with this movie... Even more after watching the Tim Burton movie, *Edwood*, mm-hmm. which which um, I didn't know what to expect. But it is not only my favorite Tim Burton movie by far, but it's just one of my favorite movies as as an artist. And like, I don't know how much of it is accurate to Ed Wood's own life, but as depicted in that movie, just like the passion for his art that Ed Wood has or had just spoke to me so much as a fellow artist.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Ed Wood is a very, very, very good movie. I love that movie a lot, too. I think, you know, sometimes, especially Latter-day Tim Burton stuff can seem a little bit like um, just trying to get a paycheck. You know, it's kind of all about the money a little bit. But, like, definitely at that point in his career, like, yes, like Ed Wood himself, Tim Burton was in it for, like, the love of the art form and the storytelling. So it's hard not to love that movie and hard not to love the person of Ed Wood for the same reason
1: right and and as a fellow lover of horror and the Macabre, it's just like this this genre is so much more than I feel like most people give it credit for. And then when I find filmmakers like Tim Burton or Ed Wood who who are just making what they deeply care about, regardless of if, of quote unquote quality. I just I just love that stuff so much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I you said that you have not seen Glenn or Glenda yet, right? No, not yet. I really love that movie. I feel like he Edward is like trying to express some of his very personal like, you know, insecurities, drives, hangups, whatever you want to call it. It's a very personal movie, and like, you know, it doesn't quite have like the resources or like the technical skill to really like express what he wants to, but it's like maybe even more like powerful and vulnerable for that reason. It's really, really great.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: great, great in its own way. That that word is always used a little bit like flexibly when talking about him, you know? Oh
1: yeah. Like (laughs) don't get us wrong. People I'm familiar with Ed Wood movies. These are not like expertly crafted films. What the appeal is, is the, not just the charm, but you can, you can sense the kind of the, 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 the soul of the artist behind this, this art, right? And like, it's, it's hard to even describe with words. It's just, if you, if you've ever cared about something so deeply and just wanted to express yourself, that's what this is. And it doesn't come out cleanly, but it comes out pure
2: yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and I would rather have something like that that's very flawed but very, like, human in a lot of ways than something that seems to just be, like, churned out by a system, you know?
1: Yeah, oh, and the system, too. Um, <laughs> we're kind of going all over the place, but I think that's okay. Um, well, no, let's save it till the we get to the Ed Wood bit in our in our cast and crew breakdown. So, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Forget Plans 1 through 8. What is this plan all about this review comes from a from imdb short and sweet but i like it so we have members of the la police department led by lieutenant clay and they're investigating what looks to be the brutal murders of two grave diggers these deaths coincide with sightings of flying saucers not only over los angeles but over other areas of the united states one who saw them was a commercial pilot named Jeff Trent. And after he saw his UFO, he was sworn to secrecy by the U.S. Army.
2: What Trent and the public at large are unaware of is that the Army not only knows firsthand about these latest sightings, but have tried to shoot down flying saucers in the past. The alien beings who have been trying to make contact to dissuade the government from developing what would eventually be a doomsday device which would destroy the universe are now resorting to what they call Plan 9, the revival of human corpses, which in turn are to kill humankind before they destroy the universe, hence the focus on the cemetery in the film. Um, Can humankind and the universe be saved? Find out in Plan 9 from Outer Space. (laughs) I love how the plots in these movies are just like, so convoluted, of course, like is like reviving the dead really the easiest way for the aliens to like take down like <laughs> these governments that want to create a doomsday device. It seems like there's probably an easier way to do that, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. But at this, yes, yes. It reminds me a lot of um the day the Earth stood still. Yeah. You know, uh, extraterrestrial coming to Earth to warn the governments of Earth against a doomsday device. Um, But in this in this version we have zombie-like corpses roaming the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the sort of over-the-top plot. Like, I, I know I'm kind of making fun of it a little bit, but it's it's a lot of fun to watch, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. So who plays Art? There are three ghouls, as they're referred to in the film.
2: Well, first and foremost, we have Bella Lugosi, the one and only Bella Lugosi. This was his last film, Um You know, actually, Ed Wood shot footage of Bela Lugosi not really knowing how it was going to fit into the film and then kind of like shaped the story after Bela Lugosi died. So there are some, you know, some rumors out there that Lugosi died like in the middle of shooting the film. And that's not entirely true. Like his footage was all shot like before production technically started. But anyway, Lugosi. Yeah, like he doesn't have any dialogue, I don't think. And like (laughs) he's like always seen you know well maybe not always but he's often seen uh with like a cape um sort of like uh, obscuring his face and that's especially because like other actors filled in for him and then like you know that way we couldn't tell that it's not actually Bella Lugosi it's actually this other stand-in who's you know noticeably taller than Bella Lugosi <laughs> and looks quite different than him yeah exactly yeah but yeah no it is I mean it's Bella Lugosi's last film appearance and like even though he doesn't have any dialogue and like really not much of a character to speak of, we still kind of like feel his presence in this movie, you know?
1: And it's so, this is one of the many, those many unquantifiable charms of the film, because now we remember it as Lugosi's last movie. But at the time Lugosi was a complete washed up has been actor I mean, this is the guy, he was was Dracula. He, He was 1931's first big Universal Pictures Dracula. Made a string of horror hits with Universal in the 30s. In the 40s, he moved to more Poverty Row horror movies. His last time depicting Dracula was in 1948's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. But get this, he wasn't even the first choice to play Dracula in that film. In fact, Universal executives, when they were reminded that Lugosi could be an option, they said they thought he was dead.
2: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's that is sad. That's definitely sad. But like it also, you know, like Lugosi and Ed Wood were pretty close friends towards the end of Lugosi's life. And it's pretty easy to understand why. Like they were both kind of like outside of the Hollywood mainstream, but still like wanted to be part of that world so much.
1: And and Lugosi had, had was did he have a part in Glen or Glenda?
2: Not that I remember. I think maybe in Bride of the Monster. Is yeah, that correct? Definitely
1: Bride of the Monster.
2: Yeah, I don't remember him in Glen or Glenda, but it's certainly possible.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just I love Lugosi and and the fact that he's in this film, even for the the little bit that he is, it's another another win in my book.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Also the another main star of the film playing one of these zombies is Vampira. Um she was born her real name is Mela Nurmi and she came up with the persona of Vampira for the television show The Vampira Show which aired in Los Angeles just a local um television channel from 1954 to 55. And this was the first of its kind where you'd have a sort of ghoulish host introduce a B-movie. So obviously, that's a format we all know very well in horror circles. Um, I mean, MST3K, of course, but um, like Sven so he's, he's a character,
2: right? Yes, Sven Gulli, um, even like this film itself, Plan 9 from Outer Space kind of has like um, somebody introducing it in the actual film. So, yeah, yeah, it's a a familiar trope.
1: Do you know Joe Bob Briggs?
2: Yeah, 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 that's another good example.
1: The Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt.
2: I mean, I feel like that kind of got really popular in the 80s, maybe with like the rise of cable television, you know, Mm. like that became a lot more prominent, I think.
1: So Vampira was the first. Um, her show had been canceled by the time Plan Nine started, but like Bella Lugosi, she was a name that Ed Wood could reasonably sell um, his movie on.
2: I did want to point out that Bella Lugosi is in Glen or Glenda. You were right; I was wrong. I just looked that up real quick, so I wanted to correct myself. I apologize.
1: Well, well, well.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in way too long. So, but yeah, no, that's that's definitely. One to watch for sure,
1: okay, for more than one reason, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so yeah, the third ghoul back on subject a little bit <laughs> in Plan Nine from Outer Space is uh Tor Johnson. He was a Swedish wrestler and actor, uh, he was in a lot of B movies, um, several Ed Wood movies, for example. You know, like he definitely has quite a presence. You can tell that being a wrestler is like his first claim to fame, and acting maybe is his second, second love, but. Uh, He's definitely quite a presence in this movie, especially with like the light colored contact lenses that he wears.
1: He definitely has screen presence. I enjoy his performance a lot. Um, If you had to choose one wrestler turned actor, I don't know, just like Desert Island, you had to pick one to hang out with and watch their movies. Well, would you choose Tor Johnson or Jesse Ventura?
2: What about Andre the Giant? Is that an option? (laughs)
1: Sure. Or uh, John Cena, even.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stick with Andre the Giant, mostly for The Princess Bride. That's the first one that comes to mind. That's a that's a solid choice. Uh, There's also Hulk Hogan in the movie Suburban Commando, which is not, (laughs) you know, not a bad movie. Entertaining in its own way. It actually is a bad movie, but still entertaining in its own way.
1: Perfect. I love that. Um, (laughs) I would probably go Jesse Ventura, but but Tor Johnson would be a close second.
2: Yeah. Well, Jesse Ventura is in Predator. So that's that's definitely a big, you know, reason why.
1: Yeah. So those are like our three zombies, ghouls. We have a fourth actor who I think like rounds out the the Ed Wood um, um, cast of characters in Criswell. Um, I actually don't even know in my research if if I mean, I'm sure he has like a real name, but Criswell, at least is what he's credited as the stage name. Another TV personality um, in the 50s through 60s. He was known for making predictions into the future on late night um, talk shows. So it'd be like if Jimmy Fallon had a character on the show who like made predictions about the future.
2: (laughs) or like if there was a feature length spin off of the Conan O'Brien in the year 2000 sketch that they used to do it'd yes. be like that you know? which i would love to see that would be great
1: that's a much better reference than anything jimmy fallon's done
2: <laughs> in the year 2000 <laughs> i love that sketch also you're an x-files fan right um yes but i i
1: don't i haven't seen as much as i'd like to
2: okay there's a character named the stupendous yappy who is like a TV sort of like psychic, you know, to like foretells the future, that sort of thing. Very, very close to Criswell in this movie. So much so that I'm like, this episode of The X-Files might be like paying lip service to Plan 9 from outer space a little bit. I don't know if that's true, but I like the comparison if it is true.
1: I do too. Um, Another pop culture reference is in Seinfeld, the famous Chinese restaurant episode, which like I always remember, like, oh, OK, yeah, it's the one where they wait at a Chinese restaurant. But I watched that episode recently and the whole like they're at the Chinese restaurant getting dinner before a screening of Plan 9 from Outer Space.
2: I forgot that. That's cool.
1: And Jerry is <laughs>
2: nerding out about it. He's like, it's not plans one through eight. It's Plan 9. Yeah, you do have to wonder what the first aid plans are. Apparently, all of them were not successful, though. <laughs> not surprisingly, I guess.
3: We did not come here as enemies. We came only with friendly intentions, to talk, to ask your aid. Our aid? Yes. Your aid for the whole universe. But your governments of Earth refused even to accept our existence. Even though you've seen us, heard our messages, you still refuse to accept us. Why is it so important that you want to contact the governments of our Earth? Because of death. Because all you of Earth are idiots.
1: I love the title, though, actually. It's like one of those titles that doesn't make sense out of context, but it just has a ring to it. You're like, okay.
2: Yeah, and in the movie, it sort of does make sense a little bit, where, you know, Eros, the character who's played by... An actor with one of the greatest names of all time, Dudley Manlove. Yeah. Uh, Eros is like, oh uh, yeah, like the first date plans didn't work, so now we got to like go to this last ditch effort or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So it kind of does make a little bit of sense in this movie. Yeah.
1: Um, one one quick thing about Criswell, so he not only bookends the movie with an introduction and an outro of the events, but he does narrate the movie throughout, um, especially in those scenes with Bella Lugosi, which. Feature no dialogue we have criswell's narration to just guide us through the action
2: um yeah one more quick thing about dudley manlove too just so i can say his name again uh (laughs) he he was a big radio actor and announcer which i think is kind of cool he did some like uh like detective radio shows i think in like the 40s and early 50s maybe Mm -hmm. um and so he plays Eros, who's like the kind of like alien henchman who wears a ridiculous outfit that it seems too small for him in the entire movie. <laughs> um, but he's he's one of the more entertaining parts of this film. I think he's exactly the vibe of the movie in a nutshell.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many great lines that uh, I'd love to pull up. But his his line when he's <laughs> he tells the humans about the the solar mite which is the the doomsday device that will explode the sun's rays, thus setting off a chain reaction to all the sunlight in the universe, and the universe will be destroyed. And the human, it must be Trent or Jeff Trent, he says something like, well, wouldn't that weapon make us stronger? Right. <laughs> <laughs> which had me laughing anyways. And then yeah. Dudley Manlove, just the classic line, no, you stupid, stupid,
2: stupid minds.
1: And the way he delivers that line is
2: brilliant. I think there's another line in the same scene where he's like, You earthlings are idiots. And the way he <laughs> says that's perfect. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'll I'll save this for later. I was gonna say something also about Jeff Trent, but I'll save it for later. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, what we're we gonna talk about, Ed Wood. Oh, so the film is Written, directed, and produced by Edward J. Wood Jr. He was a, a, I mean, you could say a maverick filmmaker, but he worked outside of the studio system. He was not making, he actually couldn't crack the the studio system. He couldn't play the game. Um, I think, you know, when you look at his movies, his talents just aren't up to snuff for mainstream cinema. So after he was born in 1924, grew up a big cinephile as a kid. Worked at a at a, a local movie theater. Fought in World War II, and I think in 1947 he moved to LA to make movies. But the the kind of like the the whole theme of his career from like say the 1950s through the 1970s. He died in the late 70s, just struggling to not only make these movies but to just survive and like actually make a living off of these movies. So in the seventies, he himself kind of drifted into obscurity. Um, he really could only find work writing and directing for erotic and adult films. Um, and then, then there was a reappraisal of him and his work that we could talk about um, sort of with the, like the film's release and and things.
2: I, I think like early in his career, he did a lot of like commercials and like some just like B Westerns that, I think maybe you're kind of like lost to time. I don't know if they're still like if you can even still watch them anymore. But it would be really fascinating to like, especially the commercials. I sort of just want to see what like if he had like a sense of style in like the commercials that he made, you know?
1: Yeah, that would be fascinating. Cause it's like I don't know, yeah, that again, that's it's like Plan nine is not a good movie, but is there a, a sense of style nonetheless?
2: Yeah, because it's certainly a distinct and unique movie. So I just wonder if the commercials have anything like that or like the westerns that he made early in his career. But as far as I can tell, like, you know, at least they're not like easily available online, which I know is like, you know, like the barest amount of research that I could do. So maybe I'll keep on looking into it. But I don't know if they're if you're able to watch them anymore. Would you
1: buy like a if there was like an Ed Wood collection, like digitally remastered Blu-ray Criterion collection?
2: Uh... I have to be honest and say that I probably wouldn't buy it. I mean, I'll get into this a little bit more later. I admire Plan 9 from Outer Space more than I actually enjoy it. But I love Ed Wood, and I'm glad that he exists. And like, yeah, I I, want to, like, occasionally rewatch his movies. But do I want to, like, spend money on, like, a box set or something? I don't know if I would do that.
1: Right. Because it's like, you know, if you see this movie on Tubi, or it's in the public domain, so literally anywhere, it's, it's kind of the same quality I would imagine as when you watched it in the drive-in in in the late fifties.
2: Right. Yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, (laughs) I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if this was like immaculately restored. And I don't even know if you would be able to tell because like, I think the original cinematography is not all that great. And like the sets are so like minimal and basic that like, you know, if they restored it, it would be like, oh, this like plain black wall, like looks even plainer and blacker, you know, like, I don't know like, what good it would do exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, it would be cool if they did that, even though I don't think I would buy it.
1: Look how great the, the flimsy little tombstones look e- now. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> they look even more styrofoamy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the strings on the UFOs are more stringy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's cool to be able to see all that, but I don't know. It's it's not the same thing as like, uh, what's a good example? Like a, a lost classic of cinema being restored. Like, yeah, that's that's maybe more like, you know, big news in the film world than restoring Ed Wood's movies, which, uh, you know, I, I know that maybe sounds a little bit mean, but I just don't think that's like why people watch his movies, you know? Right.
1: I get you. It's like part of the charm is how rough it looks. Yeah, I
2: think. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you stupid, stupid minds. <laughs> okay. Well, Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zack Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zack Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zack Pack on social media and contact the Zack Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. Real quick for Minya's mailbox, I want to give credit to Grumpy Ghost on Instagram, who shared their um, love of Orca from a 1990s creature feature marathon on TV. Um, So shout out to Grumpy Ghost. I think Orca is is one of the so bad it's good movies uh, that I apparently can't keep talking about, can't stop talking about.
2: Yeah, rightfully so. I was, uh, you know, sort of impressed by Orca. Like, it is maybe so bad it's good, but it has, like, some genuinely good things about it, too. So, yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it. Orca's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. In its own way.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, the production of this movie, I think, is really interesting. Like, the production time itself was really short. They filmed it in three days um, in November 1957. Bella Lugosi, like you said, his test, his footage was filmed um, when he was still alive, and he died in 1956. Oh no, he died in 56 in August, and Plan 9 was shot in November of 1956. But as dramatized in Tim Burton's Ed Wood, um, and I have kind of corroborated this, um, Ed Wood in 1956 was three months behind on his rent, and his landlord was. A member of the Baptist Church of Beverly Hills. And when, and the the landlord's name was J. Edward Reynolds. And when he learned that Edward was a filmmaker, he agreed to like forgive the rent if he could like produce Edward's movie. So Edward made him executive producer. And by the end, he had a budget of $60,000, which today would be equivalent to nearly half a million dollars.
2: Wow, that's I mean, I didn't really realize like the um translation of those dollar amounts, you know? That's that's pretty amazing. And just to think that like the landlord was like, instead of you paying me rent, I'm going to give you $60,000 <laughs> and just like hope that it works out. Like, I'm glad he did that, but he apparently was not a very good landlord.
1: No, not a gambling man, but but his legacy lives on. So <laughs>
2: Yeah. And I thought this was kind of a fascinating piece of trivia. It was him. It was he who insisted on the name change. Right. Because like the movie at first was supposed to be grave robbers from outer space, if I remember right. Yeah. And then he was yeah. I probably because of like the Baptist church connection. He was like, ah, I don't want to give my money to a project like that. So he insisted on the name change, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah.
1: I think that that is a story maybe more legend than truth, but I can see validity in it. That makes sense to me.
2: Well, and I just I, I wonder if like he saw a script for the movie before production started, because like, you know, it is about like reanimating the dead and like some <laughs> things that you would think like a Baptist, <laughs> you know, like a devout Baptist or whatever would kind of have issues with. But I'm glad he didn't. That's great. Yeah. Careful.
1: Anyone out there who wants to give money to an artist, just remember artists are we could be screwed up individuals sometimes.
2: Oh, yeah. Certainly true. In the case of Edward.
1: Yeah. So after 1956, it was released, well, premiered in March 1957 in L.A. Um, however, another year went by before it was picked up by uh, a distributing company, Distributors Corporation of America. The company soon folded and Plan 9 was not seen, not released again until April 1959. Um, so this is two years later. Um, from its initial premiere and after that like its creator it just kind of faded into obscurity occasional tv appearances occasional you know um low grade sort of double feature type of of bills um there was a resurgence however in the 80s a couple of things co-conspired here so in 1980 do you are you aware of these critics matt harry medved michael medved
2: uh, yeah, I'm aware of them. I haven't read or listened to a lot of their stuff. I think maybe they were kind of like not at the level of Siskel and Ebert, but that kind of like sort of like mainstream critic where, you know, their opinions probably would be like or at least like their names would be known by like the average film goer, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah, cuz um the Medveds come up a lot in talking about Plan 9. So, Edward died in 1978 in 1980. Um, at least Michael Medved, dubbed Plan 9 the worst film ever made in their book, The Golden Turkey Awards. So from that point on, people start coming around to Plan 9 um, and bringing it up from the depths of obscurity. And in 1982, there was a popular comedy documentary called It Came From Hollywood, which was one of those comedy anthology things that just featured a bunch of clips from bad movies Um, I looked into it Dan Aykroyd's in it some other comedians of the day so Ed Wood's movies were featured heavily in that picture and and again added to the the resurgence then of course Tim Burton's 1994 um, Oscar winning film Martin Landau won an Oscar for playing Bela Lugosi and Rick Baker friend of the pod Rick Baker won an Oscar for his makeup work on Martin Landau. That movie was a box office failure, but um, is still critically loved for good reason. So yeah, Ed Wood is is now a household name in Hollywood.
2: Yeah, which is how it should be, you know? That's all is right with the world if he has... Like, it's too bad he didn't have this kind of following when he was alive. But like, you know, the fact that like belatedly people are aware of like his contribution to to movies. And I I may, I mean that sincerely, not sarcastically. It seems like, you know, that like there, there is an element of fairness in the end, you know? Yeah. Cosmic justice.
1: (laughs) All right, Matt, what do you like about this movie? What's good about it?
2: You know, I have to give it credit. This is what I was going to say before about the Jeff Trent character. And I, I think you were alluding to this before with the scene with Dudley Manlove And all like, you know, all these stupid earthlings and all that. Like, I I do think this movie has a pretty like uh liberal theme or viewpoint, I guess I should say. Uh like technically, I guess the aliens are villains, but like really everything they're doing kind of makes sense. Like, in the wake of the atom bomb, it's very conceivable that like governments throughout the planet would create this doomsday device and this like you know, square jawed, militaristic American pilot, Jeff Trent is kind of like the symbol of like what's wrong with humanity, you know? So I I do think there's like an element of like um, being a little bit subversive in that way. Like, I I just appreciate that Edward is trying to convey like a, you know, a sort of resistant ideology to like what what I think was kind of prevalent in American culture at that time. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. have like the McCarthy hearings and like the communist witch hunts and stuff like that. So I just appreciate that this movie seems to be a little bit more left leaning, I guess you could say on a more fun note. I I think like the, the sets are really fun in this movie. Like I, (laughs) you know, like you mentioned this before, like the flimsy tombstones and everything. Uh, Like the cemetery is just like, you can tell that it's just carpet. There's no grass there. Like the carpet bunches up all the time. And that's very amusing. Uh, And there are some other moments where like, there is just no set at all. It's just like, a black void behind the actors basically like clearly shot in a sound stage with like no attempts at like set design or anything like that. And it just makes it look very bizarre. Like it's one of a kind in that way. It looks, you know, I mean like through it's kind of like shoddy production values, it looks very distinct. So yeah, I appreciate all that about it.
1: 100%. Um, Anything I'll say, I'm just, I'm just adding on here. Um, I love the use of fog in the in the cemeteries. Like, it just it's it's super cheap but effective. Like that's mm-hmm. he did it right. Um, there's a really actually I think I think a legitimately, um, enticing shot where of Tor Johnson when he's coming out of the grave, and the camera yeah. is at his level. Um, the way he and he's like lit from underneath with the fog. Uh, I was like that, that actually isn't that's a good shot. Like it's it's composed well. There's clearly a vision behind that shot and it's effective.
2: Yeah, there are some very striking images that seem to be like, you know, intentionally striking, not just sort of like accidentally striking. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, And then everything, everything that's bad about this movie is also wonderfully charming. So I can transition to the bad I think it's really silly that the aliens are wearing costumes from a Renfest. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I love the costumes in
1: this movie. I love that uh, the cockpit on the airplane is just such purely cardboard. Um, I love that shots from Vampira to her victims go from night and day inexplicably.
2: Yeah, no sense of time in this movie at all. Makes no sense.
1: I love how Tor Johnson, how um, easygoing he is with his pistol. He's just like waving it around with no sense of safety.
2: Yeah, that's the like the police like lieutenant or something, right? Like the cop does that? Like, yeah, including like pointing it at himself all the time, which is very, (laughs) very funny.
1: Very fun, but yeah, not but not good. Not like who's supervising this shoot.
2: Yeah, not not Ed Wood all the time, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like all that stuff is is true for sure. Like technically not not very good. Uh, you know, Like one legitimate criticism I have of this movie is that it does have some boring stretches, I think. Hmm. And I think like that's kind of just a product of. I don't know when it was made, I guess. So I, which I, I hesitate to say because I love a lot of older sci-fi and horror movies, of course. But like, I think like a combination of like when the movie was made and also it's low budget, there are some like very long dialogue scenes that just go on and on and on. And like, you know, early on you talked about like Criswell, that's the name, right? Criswell. Yeah. Um, he has like a lot of voiceover narration telling us things that we can like pretty clearly see on screen, which is like a pet peeve of mine in movies. Mm-hmm. So I do think that like, you know, it is so bad. It's good. It's very charming. But I also think that like it has some dry stretches, which are like kind of tough to get through sometimes.
1: I agree with you, actually. And, um, you know, I, I, I've i seen this movie a couple of times since April. Um, I do find myself just kind of like checking in sometimes and not giving it maybe the full attention I it I should give it. Um, there's scenes between Jeff and his I forget his girlfriend's name. They're just like, I don't know. They're there. They're, there's a charm to them. But in those instances, the movie can find, kind of fall into a lull. Um.
2: Yeah. And, like, I think also Jeff in the cockpit with his co-pilot and then, like, the Mm. flight attendant comes into the cockpit and, like, they have this dialogue scene that just goes on for, like, at least five minutes or something. And they're sort of just, like, joking around. It's like, we get it. You're friends. You can move on. Right. Right.
1: The dialogue does not move the story forward. It's just. No. It's just dead air almost. You're like, oh, my God, guys, wrap it up.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. When there's nothing interesting to look at on screen, it's like, uh, what do I what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 I get that. <laughs> um, Campy stuff. What what else haven't we mentioned? The uh, oh, I love it when uh, Bela Lugosi's character. Oh, maybe a legitimate criticism. I, I didn't. <laughs> this is so silly to talk about with Plan 9. It wasn't clear that Vampira was Bela Lugosi's dead wife that is mentioned in the beginning.
2: That was not clear at all. I just actually found that out right now when you said that.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that's the case because it was a second time watching it. I went, oh, is she the old man's wife who they buried in the beginning of the movie?
2: And she is. Wow. Okay. I,
1: I, I think so. That's what I think. But not clear. Not clear, Edwood. On your intention there,
2: <laughs> yeah, that is pretty. Yeah, I mean, could have done a much better job of conveying that for sure. Although that would make sense if, like, the plan starts around that time and she dies at the beginning of the movie. That is pretty logical.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It can't be stuff like when uh, the Bela Lugosi character when or or there's another character ghoul when they get zapped or fried, they turn into a skeleton, which is just very very funny to me. Just like a you know, like a Halloween skeleton just on the ground draped in a cape.
2: I love those moments. Yeah, that that reminds me of something I was going to bring up in the campy category is a, a supporting character. Uh, I think his name is Kelton. He's just like one of the cops in the movie. Uh, and he's also he plays the same character the actor does. Uh, Paul Marco, I think is his name. But he plays the same character in Night of the Ghouls, that Wood movie. And he's kind of just like a spineless, inept police officer who just like faints and like is totally like ineffectual, whatever he does. <laughs> uh, and maybe I mean, I think it's more intentionally funny than can't be to like give the movie some credit. But like it's he's a very amusing, amusing character. He kind of reminded me of Shaggy from Scooby Doo a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Officer Kelton, if that's his name, I think it is. He's one of the highlights in the movie for sure.
1: Good for you, Officer Kelton
2: yeah the cops were very funny
1: i did find them pretty um endearing in their bumbliness
2: yeah 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 i feel like they they knew the tone that ed wood wanted to have with this movie (laughs) maybe more than ed wood did yeah right yeah they they were in on the joke and nobody else was
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right um i'm good to go to our final ratings if you are
2: yeah i think so all right Take us away. All right. So, yeah, as, as always on Camp Kaiju, we have four ratings on the show. Number one, it's a timeless classic and definitely stands the test of time. Number two, there may be some antiquated moments, but overall, it's great and stands the test of time. Number three, it may be historically significant or just fun, but does not stand the test of time. And our lowest rating, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. mm it is. I mean, like you said earlier, it's very tough with this movie. Like, traditional standards of goodness or badness don't really apply. So uh, I can present my opinion if you'd like. Go for it. Okay. I, yeah, for me, it's between two different rankings, but I'm going to have to go with, and maybe historically significant or just fun, but it does not stand the test of time. I want, you know, like, I appreciate so much about this movie and about Ed Wood. I'm so glad that it exists and he existed, and uh, yeah, there's a lot to love about it. But like, it is honestly pretty boring at times. Um, I don't know. It's it's easier. <laughs> I'm yeah. I, like I know it sounds harsh. Of course, it's like totally d- delightful at other times. So yeah, but I think I'm gonna have to go with that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: like the, like a part like uh, so much half of literally half of me wants to say. There are antiquated moments, but it stands the test of time. But the other, maybe stronger half is with you. It is historically significant. It is deserving of its rich reputation and history. But as a standalone film, watching it by yourself, especially, it can be hard to keep your attention
2: I think that's perfectly said, but it, but you're right that it is historically significant in some ways, and um, it's worth returning to. Maybe I'm contradicting myself, but worth returning to in that way, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, we have Frank Olson joining us here at the last second. Um, Frank, we'll get you on to give us your rating on Plan 9 from Outer Space before we get to Troll 2. Wow. Okay.
2: <laughs> Surprise. <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I have not seen Plan 9 from Outer Space for a while. I honestly don't remember loving it that much. Like I remember kind of being disappointed in it considering its reputation. Uh as far as the Ed Wood movies go, I prefer uh uh Glenn or Glenda. Definitely. But uh I would say let me let me review the ratings here. Review your rating system. So I don't remember exactly. Um, I'm gonna say that it is maybe historically significant or just fun. I, I'm gonna say it maybe just fun, <laughs> but doesn't stand at the test <laughs> of yeah. is, is probably what I would say. <laughs> All right. You are in you're in accordance with me and Matt. So there you have it, folks. Um Frank Olson calling in special just for plan nine. No, that's right. No, um, Frank, we're going to wrap up this episode here, and then we'll get to troll 2. Sounds good. All right, um, Matt, any last words?
2: Um, I, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, again, I'm just there's Edward is a v- very charming. I'm so glad that this movie exists. But do check out Glen or Glenda and Bride of the Monster, and maybe Night of the Ghouls, which I don't think I've ever seen, but actually now I want to. I this this reminded me that I haven't seen that. Um, so yeah. Anyway, a, a lot to to like but yeah um kind of rambling a little bit uh this movie's fun at times but does not stand the test of time
1: all right but still more ed wood to come so thank you all for hanging out if you liked what you heard please tell a friend leave a rating and review and visit camp kaiju movie reviews.com or instagram for more monster movie content we can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded in Minneapolis, St. Paul, with theme music by Terrence Jackson and Mina's mailbox by Ben Cook-Feltz. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zack Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. Even now, your scientists
3: are working on a way to harness the sun's rays. The rays of sunlight are minute particles. Is it so far from your imagination? They cannot do as I have suggested. Why a particle of sunlight can't even be seen or measured. Can you see or measure an atom? Yet you can explode one. A ray of sunlight is made up of many atoms. So what if we do develop this solanite bomb? We'd be even a stronger nation than now. Stronger. You see? You see, your stupid minds, stupid, stupid. That's all I'm taking from you. Get back here, you jerk! Let him finish.
1: I'm excited to talk about these movies.
2: Me too. Yeah, they are classics of the so bad it's good subgenre.
1: Yeah, and uh, I didn't know quite the reputation troll. I didn't know quite the reputation troll too has. And uh, I think it rivals Plan 9 as the best of the worst.
2: Yeah, I have to say I, I enjoy Troll 2 quite a bit more than Plan 9 from Outer Space. So I'll just say that right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is one of a kind for sure. I guess Plan 9 from Outer Space is 2 in its own way, but in a less entertaining way, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think, and we'll get into this obviously, but I think that there's so much... Um, around Plan 9, apart from the movie itself, that makes it so beloved. Yeah. Like you have Ed Wood's reputation. You have all the actors involved with Plan 9 who are just like this hodgepodge of of uh, B-listers at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just like, oh, it's Bella Lugosi's last movie. Yeah. It's just a weird... that transcends the actual film itself
2: Totally, I love all that stuff about it for sure Lashbrook so did I do a terrible thing
0: you mean lying to your uncle
2: I couldn't have dinner with him
3: plan 9 from out of space one night only the big screen my hands are tied (laughs)